0: Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be back here in Ireland again, especially in Belfast. Uh, my first visit to Belfast was in 1979 when the doulos came and I came in with the ship. And then on my second visit here um, in 1980, I stayed in the home of a family whose son had just recovered from a bullet wound. Uh, he was um, in the uh, police force and was amb- ambushed. And, um, and so he was still you know, nursing the wound. And when I came to visit this family and stay with them, and he apologized to me that he couldn't show me and introduce me to the wonderful culture of Ireland. And instead, because my visit was so short, he gave me a cassette by Phil Coulter called Tranquility. <laughs> and, um, and I listened to that music often. And that little act of kindness and generosity from this young man has sealed my relationship to Ireland. Just this morning as I flew in to your country or to your lovely city, I listened to Phil Coulter and his music again, the spinning wheel, Carrie Fergus and all this. And just and then when I saw the the, the the words and with the towns and all those names, I just felt connected again to Ireland. So I want to say it is wonderful, wonderful to be back here again and to see so many familiar faces, some friendship that went back thirty nine years. Um, Susan and I, we met on the ship, Toulouse, in 1979, and we got married in 1989. And uh, in those days, Owen put the fear of God in us when it comes to relationship. (laughs) So we were, you know, obeying the rules. Um, Tonight, what I'd like to do is I want to share with you good news and the bad news. And the good news is this. The good news is that we are living in exciting time. I think this is the most exciting times of the Christian history when it comes to world mission. This year we celebrate 60 years of OM's ministry and I also turned 60 this year. And in the year that I was born, there were 85 million Bible-believing followers of Jesus in the world. These are people who believe in the Bible These are the people who live by the Bible. It was estimated to be about 85 million people. And today, the most conservative estimate says that there are about 900 million Bible believers uh, and followers of Jesus. In the span of the last 60 years, the percentage of Christians have increased from 4% to 12% of the world's entire population. It took us 2,000 years since Christ gave us the commandment to go into all the world it took us 2,000 years to reach only 4% of the world's population and in the last 60 years we reached 12% it is exciting we we live in exciting time and this is wonderful news and uh, and everywhere you you go and I'm sure this happened this week as well we will hear stories after stories or what is going on in the world today. China, for example, a country that is you know, still call itself a communist country. And today, there are more than 100 million believers of Jesus Christ in China. My wife and I, we work with OM China in a lot for six years. And, um, and when I share this figure of 100 million, they say, no, it's too conservative. Some people will put it at 130 to 140 million. But I will keep it at a conservative side. And then I was in a conference not too long ago, and an Iranian pastor spoke up and said that there is, there is an Iranian believer in every Iranian village. And this morning, or yesterday morning, when we arrived in Amsterdam, Tired, exhausted from the 14-hour flight. And then I looked into the TV screen at the airport, and there was the CNN news speaking. And there was a headline, uh, a bottom line. Actually, the the big news was that the Korean guy, the heir of Samsung, was sentenced to five years imprisonment for corruption. But then there was a little tagline that says, In Netherlands, thousands of, of Iranians have come to faith in Christ, have turned to Christianity. Thousands of Iranians have become Christians in Holland. And then the pastors from Indonesia spoke up again in a a conference in Singapore. And then he said, 5,000 Muslims are coming to faith in Christ every week. Every week in Indonesia. There are a lot of, some people say there are over 30% of the population in the country has become Christian. And we cannot verify the figure, but we believe that a lot of things is happening. It's not just only in, in, in Asia, but it also takes place in India, subcontinent Asia, in the Middle East. You know, in this part of the continental Europe, the refugees um, crisis have turned many, many people, especially the people from the Muslim background to faith in Christ. I was again in a meeting and I listened to one man and he said to me that in Norway there are 150 migrant churches in Oslo, in the capital city. All these people have come to faith in Christ just in recent years. In South America, in Africa, we see hundreds and hundreds of millions of people coming to faith in Christ. God is doing something and this is the good news. Now the bad news is this the bad news is that nine out of ten people in the world today are still living outside of a personal faith in christ there may be 900 believers in the world but there are 7.4 billion people in the world today two out of three people are not only spiritually lost They have no one living around them to tell them about Jesus, even if they want to. Uh, They have no cell phone, no internet, no radio, no church, and no Bible. Christmas and Easter are not in their calendar. We talk about the second coming of Christ. We celebrate that, looking forward to it. And yet, this people has never heard about the first coming of Christ. Nine out of ten people in the world today have not yet heard of the gospel. And what did Jesus say about this? And what did Jesus say? And if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. And I want to read to you, starting from verse 44. And here in my Bible, I wrote here, a little note, and I say, these are three game-changing events. So what are the, th- are the three game ch- game-changing events? In verse 44, Luke chapter 24, verse 44, and Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still, lot, was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scripture. And then he told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and will rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of all these things. The three game-changing events that I've seen here is one, that Christ must suffer. That Jesus Christ is the sacrificial lamb for the atonement of our sin. And Jesus did not, did not ask his disciples to suffer on his, on his behalf. He did not ask his followers, to says, okay, I'm going to, be, you know, I, I'm going to face the cross and I want you to take my place. He did not do that. He did it all by himself. So this is the one game-changing event that Christ had taken our place on the cross. And then the second game-changing event is that, that he will rise from the dead on the third day, as he said he would, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he did it all by himself. And then he was put into the tomb, and then he raised himself from the dead. He did not ask his disciples to come up with a plot. In fact, the Pharisees were so afraid, they placed soldiers outside the tomb to prevent anything from happening or prevent the, uh, the disciples from coming and take the bodies away and claim that Jesus resurrected. But it's true enough, even all the precautions the soldiers took, Jesus rose himself from the dead. God raised him from the dead, and he did it all by himself. And then the third thing came, the third game-changing event came. And this, for me, is an awesome thought. You know, Jesus, who could take all the sufferings upon himself, who could raise himself from the dead, he could surely reach the whole world by himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need the church. He could do it all by himself. But instead, he has decided that he will give that privilege to the church that he would give the privilege to his disciples. And he said here in verse 48, And you are witnesses of all these things, and forgiveness and repentance will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And that was what had been taking place in the last 2,000 years since the great commandment was given. The disciples spread out of Jerusalem. They were dispersed and they went all over the world, and they worked hard at it, and then the word of God began to spread into many different places. Over the years, throughout history, people tried to quench the word of God, and they tried to to, to stop the word from preaching, but they failed to quench the work of the Holy Spirit. I remember hearing stories about China that's In 1949, there were about 800,000 believers in China when the communists came into into the picture and began to chase all the missionaries and kick out everybody, every Christian out of the country, especially foreigners. And, um, And they began to burn all the scriptures. People are sent into rehabilitation camps, sent into farming communities as punishment if they claimed to believe in God. And, um, and a big effort came to eradicate Christianity out of China. And they did that. And after several years, um, decades of their effort, and the wife of Mao Zedong at that time spoke up and, to, and spoke in front of the Chinese um, government, the governing body, and she proudly proclaimed that they had eradicated christians christianity out of china well that's what she thought but she f- failed to quench the holy spirit and today we see that there are hundreds of millions of people who claim to be believers and followers of jesus christ in china so all these things are taking place now it's wonderful for, for us, and I also speak especially for myself, that I could come to places like here, attend a missions conference, hear all kinds of reports, hear about what God is doing around the world, hear about justice being you know, done, and we're rescuing people out of slavery, fighting for their rights, reaching out and minister to them. We get all excited. And at the moment we step out of the conference center, with the moment we step out of the of the church and then all these stories we heard become a distant reality and unless we are willing to act upon it and unless we 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 keep ourselves motivated this kind of conferences would not the the impact will not go very long so how you know, what would I like to do uh, this evening? I thought I just want to keep it short, and I will leave just four areas with you that I thought we can learn from Jesus that will keep our fire alive and, uh, and allow us to keep pressing on in the ministry that God has given to us. And these are just the four examples. And then turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. And uh, we shall read from verses 35 to 38. This is one of the... Familiar passages we see. And I want to point out four things. Let's begin by reading uh, verse 35. And Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sicknesses. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers and the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest." You know, I in verse 35, it says, and Jesus went. The word went is the past tense of the English word um, to go. Now, in Chinese language, we don't have grammar. We don't have verbs. And so, but here we do, in English words, went is the past tense of go, and jesus can tell us to go because he went and jesus never asked us to do anything he has not already done he would not ask, have asked us to go if he has not already gone before us so the first thing is that jesus went jesus went and i think it is good for us all of us to participate in either a short term or the long term missions program to go and be involved in some kind of activities that will keep us motivated and engaged with all that the Holy Spirit is doing around the world. Now, the question is, where did Jesus go? Well, it says here that Jesus went to all the towns and villages. It didn't say that Jesus go to some places of the cities. It didn't say that Jesus went out to most places it said that Jesus went to all the towns and all the villages. In other words, it's telling us that whenever there is a place of need, Jesus would go. Jesus would go. And, um, and sometimes we missionaries can be very picky, and we pray that we want to go into a mission field, but God has to send us to the place where we want to go, not where he wants us to go. And here we see that Jesus set the examples by going to all the towns and all the villages. So the first thing is that we want um, Jesus when, and we can learn from Jesus by following his examples to go. And then the second thing that we see here, um, but let me just tell you one, more, one, one, one thing here. Uh, people would ask, what is the difference between evangelism and missions? Why sometimes the church talks about evangelism and why others talk about missions? And in my early Christian or in my early days with OM, I thought there was no difference. Missions is evangelism. Evangelism is mission. But recently I met um, um, a, a, what do you call, the dean of a Bible school, Dr. George Murray, from Columbia International University. And this is what he said. He defines evangelism and mission this way. He said evangelism is reaching people who don't believe in Jesus. And mission is reaching people who don't know there is a Jesus to believe in. So evangelism is reaching people who don't believe in Jesus. So you want to witness to them and talk to them. But mission is reaching people who don't know there is a Jesus to believe in. And that requires us to go into a place and sh- share with them the gospel of Christ. So now, Jesus went, and this is what Jesus did. He went to all these places, and he teach, and he preached the word of God, and he healed people of the diseases and sicknesses. Then the second thing we can learn from Jesus is that he saw. Jesus saw the crowds, and he had compassion. And this is my third point, soul and compassion. You know, when I was in, um, yesterday in Amsterdam watching the TV screen, there was another man standing next to me, and when I saw the caption that says thousands of Iranians have turned to Christianity in Holland, I turned to this stranger, complete stranger, and I said to him, "Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting?" And he looked at me and says, "Yeah, it's about time this guys received some justice." And uh, he was referring to the Samsung heir who was sentenced to five years of imprisonment, whereas I was talking about the people coming to faith in Christ. Now, why wasn't he looking at the text? And um, why didn't he know what I was talking? It was simply because he wasn't looking. You know, we can go to many places, and if we do not see the needs and we do not make an effort to look and to find out what was going on, we could miss it completely. We could. And so Jesus saw, and then when he saw, he had compassion, and, um, and between this word, so I, I don't know how to describe it, but between the word saw and compassion, there is a linking word, and the linking word is when. So when he saw, he had compassion. And you can be in places of suffering, you can be in place of, places of turmoil, and if you do not make an effort to look, you will not have found out, to, and you will not be engaging with the situation. So Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And um, the Greek word compassion, it's very difficult to describe because I, I don't know how to describe this. And, um, but it means deep love or deep hate. And um, it's the same word to describe two opposite feelings, compassion. You know, either you have a deep love or deep hate for something. In, in the year 2008, in May 12, a massive earthquake uh, took place in the province of China. I was already in China. 68,000 people had lost their lives in this horrible earthquake. And when I first heard about it, I thought, wow, too bad. But I made no plans to go and see what was going on until somebody challenged me and said, Lawrence, you've got to come down. You've got to come down. Something is happening there. And I went down uh, to this earthquake area. And I was totally shattered. I was taken to a place uh, through some arrangement with the government officials. I was taken to a place right at the epic center. And, um, and when we arrived, there were a lot of soldiers working in the place. And there was a pile of rubble right there. And I saw a woman and she was she was probably not haven't slept for a few days her hair was a mess and she was walking around this this rubble and she would shout and scream and and say something in chinese um i don't know what she was saying and then she would do it and then um you know shouting at the stones and i didn't know what happened so i thought she was crazy so i told the soldiers i said what is going on with this woman and everybody was digging and all the way but she was shouting into this pile of stones. And then the soldier explained to me. He said, she and her family, her children and her grandchildren and her husband were all having a meal together uh, in her house. It's a five-story building. They were at the bottom floor. And then she stepped outside to pick up something, and that's when the earthquake happened. The whole building collapsed and buried three generations of her family into underneath the um, the." The rubble, and, uh, and since that day, she's been shouting the names of her children, her husband and her grandchildren, hoping to hear some cry that will come out of this rubble so that she could alert the soldiers to come and help her to dig up um, or to save them. And, uh, and when I s- heard the story and I saw what happened, I made the connection. And I just sat down on the the stones nearby, and I couldn't control myself, and I began to cry. I felt a tremendous compassion for a stranger that I've never met. Just hearing her story, because when I looked into the situations and heard what was going on, I was overwhelmed with a compassion for her. And then I decided that I would do something. And so as a result, we built a welfare center for the handicapped people, especially those um, that suffered from the earthquake. But this is what happened. When Jesus saw, he had compassion. And we can be so blinded to the situations around the world that we hear stories, we hear reports, we read, but we don't really look. And if we don't look, we cannot engage the situations and then lastly you know when he went he saw he had compassion and then jesus turned to his disciples the people that were closest to him the people that he has spent his earthly life with and he said to them he says the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few so ask therefore that the lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest the greek word for sent out is the word called ekbalo now i'm not a i'm not a a greek student and uh, i just learned about this word through hearing messages and people explaining to me and it means cast out it is a strong word it is a violent word and it is the same word that jesus used to cast out the demons so, casting out demons and sending out missionaries is the same thing. And, um, and I wonder why. Why isn't it difficult? Um, why, why is it so difficult to send out missionaries? And probably because people are stubborn, people don't respond too well. I don't know. But it is a strong word. And the best way to describe ekbalo is this. Uh, When I was living in China again, I love pomegranate. We don't get that in Singapore. And they're very expensive. But there is a season, a time in China, where you can buy pomegranate for like 30 cents US, and you get one big pomegranate. And so I bought a few, and I took them home um, to my apartment. And then I had a dilemma. I've never eaten a pomegranate before. And I've never opened a pomegranate before. So I look at it, and it was, the shell was so hard. I don't, you know, really, where do you start? And then I had a brilliant idea. I thought, well, I'm going to put this fruit between, you know, in my two palms, and I'm going to squeeze it so that I will crack the shell and possibly, you know, get my hands into all the little seeds inside. And so the shell was really hard, and I couldn't squeeze it with, you know. Um with my palm, and I decided that with all the God-given strength that I have, I'm going to give it one big squeeze. And that's what I did. And all the seeds inside the pomegranate, ekbalo, out of the fruit, and spread all over the floor and all this and the place. That's ekbalo. That's casting out. And this is what Jesus is asking us that we will pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he would akbalo his people out of the church and into the street to be his witnesses, so that more people will hear about his forgiveness and repentance of sins is possible. And so these are the four areas that Jesus has set the examples. He went out and do witnessing all over the place, teaching, preaching, reaching out to the hurting people, and then he constantly kept a lookout of all that is going on so that he could engage the people, had compassion on them, and um, understanding their needs, knowing that these people are like sheep without a shepherd. And then he did not just stop there, but instead he turned around and he gave the partnership to the church. And he says, You are witnesses of all these things. Go. Go and it says, and it says, pray that we can send our workers into the harvest. And this is what I hope that we would do after the conference like this that when we leave this place, the events and all that was had taken place this past week would not just be a footnote in our week's activities, but it will be something that would engage us so that we will go out. To all different places. We will keep a lookout of all that is going on. Have compassion for the people, the neighbors around us, the friends around us, the people who are lost. And I can continually ask the Lord to send you out to engage these people so that they would have the opportunity to hear about the saving grace of God. And that is what Jesus is saying to us You shall be my witnesses. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you for this good week together. And um, so many things have been spoken, so many stories been shared, and many reports were given. And Lord, I pray that all this information that was given to us would not be far away at the back of our minds. But rather, it will be information that will motivate us to follow your examples that we will go into the world, that we will keep a lookout for all that is going on and feel for the situations so that we can ask you to make us your witnesses to all these people. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit mission